when I'm leading things with leaders and professionals, I'm very conscious to get that balance right between playful and childish and between serious and sensible. And there's like those different interplays to get right. But um, it's so powerful of these things that can tr- be conscious triggers to ground us back in that sense of nostalgic playfulness and it's shown that when we're in that state of mind we're more open-minded more collaborative more creative so that's what I love to do well that's the joy of my work when I can get people into that state and energy you're listening to take regular breaks the positive mental health podcast empowering you to find balance in all aspects of your life I'm Tanya Diggory, and today we're exploring making time for self, health, and creativity with Andy Dunn. Hello, and welcome to today's episode, everyone. I'm excited to be joined by one of the most creative humans I've ever known and had the pleasure of working with. Andy Dunn is a creative facilitation expert, leadership and personal coach, mental health and well-being practitioner and facilitator. Andy is a keynote speaker, author of Searching with Purpose, and the founder of Creators Club, Creators Festival and Creators Schools. Having worked with over 5,000 CEOs, business leaders, entrepreneurs, school students, and teachers, Andy is passionate about making a difference to people's lives, organizations, and the future of education. Hi, Andy. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Hey, Tanya. Wonderful to be here with you. Well, we've collaborated and supported each other on a number of projects over the years. I can't believe where the time has gone. And to this day, it never ceases to amaze me how creative your approach is when it comes to thinking outside the box and how you empower others to use creativity to elevate their performance in any aspect of their lives. So you often describe yourself as someone who lives and breathes creativity across the world. So let's rewind a little to start with. Please tell us a bit more about you and what inspired you to build a career in creative facilitation and coaching. So I think as a as a younger Andy, looking back now, creating was a thing that I gravitated to so naturally, whether that was building, drawing, making or whatever, and then throughout a career in, or sorry, education doing more design and industrial design type stuff, it was that passion for how do we take an idea and bring it to life in the world that I loved. And then it was truthfully navigating the difficult time of depression in my early 20s that gave me that real thinking and realignment time to say I care about solving problems in the world I love to work with people and I want to use my creativity how can I combine those three things and do meaningful wonderful work and seeing someone be a creative facilitator um, Humberto Matas a wonderful Spanish facilitator who I saw work in San Francisco I was like wow what this (laughs) Humberto Matas, he's he's wonderful. He he probably doesn't know since then that he was so inspiring, but just watching the way he worked with a group and guided things and this balance between, I don't know, a gentle process and so creatively inspiring. I was like, I want to do that. And then that was what planted the seed and gave me a way to understand how I can work with people, help solve problems and use my creativity and help other people tap into theirs at the same time. So yeah, that was in my early 20s and 10 plus 12 years ago, uh, 12 years later, I'm still doing it and I've 
become a leading expert in it because I, yeah, I'm great at it somehow. You are, absolutely. <laughs> and you love it. That comes across in abundance. They do. <laughs> it's beautiful, isn't it, that the spirit of humanity and how our connections can lead to different opportunities. Like the fact that that one facilitator inspired you to sort of go on that path for yourself and you know whether he knew it or not it's just it's really wonderful to think about how many connections we can make whether we're aware of it or not I think we all need that we all need to what helps to see somebody doing something and think ah what they're doing I'd like to do that in my own way perhaps but yeah it was so inspiring and I will never forget that first impression so Mm, oh that's beautiful So, I mean, you mentioned you've been in this uh, line of work now for a long time and you're a writer, an entrepreneur. You've devoted over 15 years to mastering the art and science of creativity in business, leadership and guiding personal growth. I'm also very pleased to say that you're one of Karma's trainers and facilitators, delivering a range of our courses to and offering coaches for our clients. And we're delighted to work with you, Andy. So if we look at the science of creativity and creative activities um it's actually been shown to improve our mental health increase happiness boost our immune systems and and studies have even shown that creative engagement not only reduces depression and isolation but it can also help people with dementia tap back into their personalities and sharpen their senses which is pretty phenomenal can you share any inspiring examples of when you've seen creativity better an individual's life whether it's helped them in their work or any other aspect of their life yeah, I mean, lots of examples. I'll try and recall a couple that have been particularly powerful. And But before I do, the general theme of what I love about when people create is there's often a moment of people thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know what my idea is. I don't know how to make it or articulate it. And that space between I don't think I can and then it somehow being out in the world and then other people building upon it is what gets me most excited with the work I do as well. Because I know I know deep down, because I've done it for so long, that it will work every time. And I just have complete confidence and faith in people and their creative potential. And when I work with clients or companies or people, when they're super open-minded to creating, it's a joy. But it's also a joy sometimes when you have the people who are resistant, and that may be because they doubt themselves or resistant because they think there's something else they could or should be doing. But um, one example comes to mind of a person I worked with earlier in my career and they came to this event and it was three day, a three-day event and the first day they were so sceptical about participating and by th- and this was, you know, solving world challenges using a business creative approach. On the third day, this person had a balloon animal on their head and was just quietly sat in the corner of the room, like creating this visual plan for what they were doing. And I was like, this person is so into it. <laughs> and it was just a wonderful moment of like, when you can win the people over that are like skeptical to it, then it's like, it's a good feeling. And it's, and I've learned over time that different people will come to things at diff- in their own times. But um, that was a lovely moment of just looking across the room and seeing someone of their own accord, having a blue number on their head, fully engaging in the activity, which is, um, yeah, so good. Fab. I mean, that just brings such a smile to my face and I wasn't even there. So <laughs> I can imagine what that would have been like for you and how fulfilling that is as well. Like you say, when you really see that transformation happen from someone who wasn't sure that it would. 
Yeah. And you know the balloon animals are a fun example, but there's often these, you know, because I've done so much work with, with teenagers as well as um, leaders in business, I think there's this age we get to where the nostalgia of whether it's Lego or a balloon animal or something creative just instantly grounds us back in that playful spirit. And when I'm leading things with leaders and professionals, I'm very conscious to get that balance right between playful and childish and between serious and sensible. And there's like those different interplays to get right. But um, it's so powerful of these things that can tr- be conscious triggers to ground us back in that sense of nostalgic playfulness and it's shown that when we're in that state of mind we're more open-minded more collaborative more creative so that's what I love to do well that's the joy of my work when I can get people into that state and energy Mm, absolutely and I've witnessed it many times as well of course and it really is a sight to behold and very joyful experience So what would you say, Andy, creativity gives you? I know you've been on quite a journey yourself and we're going to be talking about your book in a moment. Um, But what what do you feel it really gives you? I'd say two things. It gives me a voice to express myself. And I don't always mean in words. That could be through, it could be through written word. It could be through painting, could be making something. It could be whatever outlet that is. So I think maybe an outlet is a better word. It gives me an outlet to process what I'm thinking or how I'm feeling and the other thing is it gives me an opportunity to make an impact to something I care about whether it's uh, inclusivity in the workplace whether it's helping companies tap into issues to solve the climate crisis whether it's to speak up about my own mental health and I can write a book to help do that so I think it's either an outlet for me or it's an opportunity to make an impact in the world um be it small or big well thank you for sharing that so let's talk about your book and it's called searching with purpose you're very open about your own recovery from anxiety and depression very very common experiences of mental health issues that many people go through in their own ways and you also talk about managing work overload and burnout Alongside that, you also talk about pressures that you face with sexuality, identity and bisexuality. Um, You also share your journey of recovery and how tapping into various strategies enabled you to support your well-being. Now, I could spend hours talking about your book and the content in your book, which is so varied, heartfelt and genuinely an empowering read. So congratulations on that. Thank you course and but for now I just want to focus on one part Mm -hmm. of the book that that really stood out to me um, and I think is uh, particularly poignant with what we're talking about in terms of recovery and and finding what works for you um, and uh, and and what things can help you tap into that self-expression so and I quote you say that I never felt like I needed help with emotional issues or psychological things I wasn't sure if other men or people my age did that or if it was just me that resisted it. This was the first time in my life I felt like I actually needed to be helped in this kind of way. Thankfully, when I was pulled to my knees crying helplessly, I had support. I had my mum there to catch me when I fell. My mum wasn't a qualified counsellor or therapist and she didn't intend to treat me. But what she did do was make me feel okay with not being okay. And she made me feel it was courageous and brave to ask for help. It's just so beautiful. What lovely writing and 
like I say, just so heartfelt. It, it really encapsulates, I feel, what is so commonly felt by many people who are struggling with their mental health and questioning what they're feeling. Also, this depicts how vitally important it is to have a support network, right? Mm. So whether that's family, friends, colleagues, other associates, or accessing support groups. But in this example, you share a really poignant account poignant account of how much your mother helped you during this time and equally how she didn't need to be a therapist in order to support you in realizing you needed help mm. what's even more beautiful is your mum wrote the foreword in this book which mm. I think is just so lovely <laughs> um, so Andy having faced a lot of adversity and come out the other side what would you say has been the biggest learning curve for you well it was nice to hear that reread back because I wrote this for four years ago. It was republished a year ago, just changing the title, but it's wonderful to hear it read back. It's a nice experience. Um, I'd say the biggest learning is to be able to access and reach out for help or support earlier. Like in that instance, you know, at the time I was 23 and I'd, I can't think I'd really cried openly in front of anybody before. And... It got me to the point where my anxiety had spiralled out of control and I was about to enter depression for the first time, which I didn't really know what it was at the time. Um, and But it took me until I was, like, really helpless. So I felt helpless to ask for help. And, you know, a lot of years on now, I realise that if I can be courageous enough to ask for support earlier... Um, it's a it's a it's a much nicer process to be able to um, be in with somebody else, and whether that is a therapist or a trusted friend or a family member or someone in our support network, the sooner we can say, "I don't quite feel myself," or "I feel stressed," or "I feel lonely," "I feel agitated," "I feel something other than peaceful and brilliant." The sooner we can say that. Um, then the easier it is for someone else to support us and the easier it is to get the help we need. So I think asking for help sooner. And and again, this is a little bit of a gender stereotype and I'm really mindful to not make stereotypes, but for a lot of men, this is still a big, it's still a big issue. And you can see the statistics of like, um, like suicide rates and many other indicators that show um, perhaps a lot of men do struggle to ask for help as well. And I still have... I have male friends and colleagues and now and I also as someone who is a practitioner of mental health and as a leader in this industry I still sometimes find it uncomfortable I'd say when I'm not feeling good to say to find the right words or to ask a friend or to ask a family member or just say I need to talk something through like I still find it so I'm not surprised that people who aren't practitionally trained in this world um I think I've just made up a word there practitionally very cool <laughs> um but they also find it hard because you know we can grow up thinking I shouldn't cry I should be strong other people need me to be strong and especially business leaders or people as well they're trying to be strong for other people and to take time off or to ask for help um if we have this idea it's a weakness we're never going to do it whereas we have the idea that um it's a courageous thing to do then we do it sooner and but we also shouldn't shouldn't almost say that we shouldn't also do it because it's about courage that's probably another um 
alpha-y thing to be like, I'm going to do it because it's courageous. It's like, yeah. no, do it because you need help. And yeah. we all deserve to be helped. Like, we are, we all, well, most of us love to give help and be helpers. But to enable that to happen, we also need to be part of the um, that reciprocity give and take thing and be willing to ask for help mm. as well. So I think that's the, yeah, it's the biggest thing I would say I've learned and I'm still learning to practice as regularly as possible. Um yeah. I think what you just said there is very poignant as well, that it's a practice, you know, yeah. it's not like any of us get to a point where we're suddenly like, oh, that's it. I'm never going to struggle again. I'm 100% confident. It's like, that's not how life works. You know, it's, we're all human beings. We're fragile in, in many ways as well. And, you know, we, we're very complex and we don't know what life is going to bring our way a lot of the time and some things can be unexpected. So to be aware of that and embrace that as well, that was, also takes a lot of courage, right? And I do think that this this idea of weakness has definitely evolved into a new meaning nowadays where we actually look at that in a way that's more empowering, like you say, rather than think of it as weak in terms of sharing that mm. we need help, actually just think about how much strength it takes within you to, to open up. Yeah. It does take immense um, resolve or strength to be able to say, like, you know, and we might come onto this, but you know, for, for me to publish some of the things I did in my book or even in the last six months to be more open with my network about how I have felt about um, wanting to be more open about being bisexual in a relationship that people from the outside might see as, oh, we're both straight. But um, but the before before being open with that, I went through such a an inner difficult experience of like, this feels hard or uncomfortable and even though I know I have loving kind friends and colleagues it still doesn't mean that internally it's not difficult and I think for people to really appreciate that what someone else is going through um, we just don't know the depth of difficulty or despair that they feel and the bit you read out about me being brought to my knees with my mum helping me that like I just felt so helpless and I didn't know where to turn or how to how to really ask for help and verbalize it so yeah I find it incredibly brave how you open up about your sexuality in the book as well and I think you know mm. you think about a number of themes and um, movements and you know changes that are going on in our society nowadays and people who identify as LGBTIQ plus you know having more of a voice and more of a platform and more understanding like there's a lot more of awareness you know yeah. as to, to what it's like um yeah. to to yeah to you know to actually share and open up about that experience and I really commend you for for doing so because it's it's a huge part of, of who you are right and and actually what you just said there about it doesn't mean it's not difficult you know with especially with bisexuality and and how that interplays so yeah I mean if you're happy to share a little bit more about what that was like for you and what, what it is continuously like in terms of how you navigate that I think that's mm. a really important topic to share as well and I, I thank you again for sharing and being open with that yeah of course and, and I think uh, I mean, we all need we all need role models as in like the same way I spoke about what Humberto did for me in my career and gave me oh wow that makes that's interesting like for you know when I'm going into schools at the moment I'm working with young people you know I want to be able to not in like a showy fancy fancy way but just to be like oh 
cool, that's how Andy identifies. If it comes up, it's not that I... I don't often openly share it, but I would, like, in um, in Pride Month, I was wearing a badge the whole month. So any time I met a, met a person, and I was actually going back into schools face-to-face, not online, which is cool. So having chats with teachers and having chats with students and allowing them to understand what it what uh what the bisexual badge looks like and they're like, oh cool thanks for telling me so like we have these little moments and opportunities where we can be brave and open and it allows other people to feel probably more comforted and then brave themselves if and when they need to be um but the experience of publishing it on um facebook was and instagram they were the platforms that i'm most active on and wanted to be open with it was um I mean, it was so relieving and freeing and exciting at the same time. I think when we like, oh, this is what I want to do, whether someone's like, you know, I want to be a musician or I want to, you know, do this with my life. When we're like, I'm going to be brave and do it. It's mm-hmm. exhilarating and exciting because we are like, this is part of me and I want to be open and comfortable. And it was actually a TED talk I watched where, um, I forget the name of it, but I'll tell you afterwards and you can put it in the notes. Um, it was about the difference between privacy and secrecy and if we're being secret about something it's probably that we're ashamed and we are not wanting that to be seen whereas if we're keeping something private we are having boundaries and making decisions on what is for the world and what is for me Um, and so for this for me was an example of something that I wanted to be open about rather than be secretive about Um, and I think that's very powerful. And I think for this conversation about mental health and well-being and all the great work you do, it's helping widen the conversation of how people can flourish and succeed because they take care of their mental health, not because they've had difficulty with their mental health. Mm. Um, and even if they have had difficulty with mental health, they can still lead happy, flourishing, wonderful lives. Um, but the work you do gives people greater empathy greater compassion greater skills for people to know themselves know their emotions know their inner world and therefore connect with other people in a kind way which is why i love the work you do and one of the many reasons we connect and do what we do so yeah Hi everyone, just wanted to take 40 seconds of your time to mention our mindfulness guides and e-courses designed and curated to help you feel calmer, happier and empowered to regularly nurture your health and well-being. Our four e-courses explore the themes of self-kindness, mindfulness for sleep, stress relief and daily mindfulness, offering a blend of guided audio meditations, movement and breathwork videos, well-being recipes for healthy living and book recommendations. Each e-course is drawn from evidence-based research, guiding you through a healthy, restorative routine that supports your overall well-being, enhancing your effectiveness in work and all aspects of your life. You can find out more by visiting our website, thisiskarma.com. Thank you for listening. And now back to the episode. Thank you, Andy. Always, always a pleasure to to connect with you and, and the work we do together. And, you know, for me, really, I mean, this is why I love uh, doing the work that I do. And especially with interviews like this, it's for me, it all connects. When we talk about mental health, it's something that we all have. And when we're talking about identity, sexual identity, like all of these different, really varied, broad, important topics that, that I feel need to be covered and discussed because it links to who we are as people, as human beings. And like you said, 
everyone is going through their own thing um everyone is um you know either whether they're battling with something or questioning something or curious about something and it can interplay in their lives in different ways so so many of us go to work so when we talk about mental health at work and looking after ourselves as professionals you know you may also be going through some personal things in your life that are you know presenting themselves whilst you're working so it's so important to you know get comfortable with who you are so you know another reason why I just I really admire your openness about your journey and the variety of your journey and no doubt it's really supported and so many people and you've been a role model to so many people so thank you Anna. pleasure pleasure so on that point about mental health and and how we embrace it uh, there's obviously challenges but of course there's also positive mental health, mental resilience and nurturing and looking after your mental health. So nowadays, how do you manage the interplay between looking after your mental health at work and in your personal life? How do you find that balance? Yeah, it's interesting. And I've found it, I've personally found it more challenging in the last 14 months throughout the pandemic because of mostly working from home and that it's a... it's a more difficult line to divide between the two. So I have found that more challenging. And even before I would, you know, I'm self-employed and can I work between home or co-working spaces or clients' offices or wherever I am. So I've always had that freedom and flexibility. But before I found it easier to make that division. And I've, I've really struggled at times in the last year and a half because it can be quite consuming and we're around our work quite a lot and... Yes, we've got a little study that I use. It's still not as freeing as the world. So I have found that challenging. Um, And so much of what you're doing was events-based, wasn't it, as well, and seeing people in person. Yeah, exactly, and running events for a living and then running everything via online at the moment. It's it's, it's been tough. Um, And I'd say I'm a very self-aware person, um, and yet, I don't manage that well all of the time, you know? And I think we, it's good to dispel the myth, but sometimes I don't manage very well. And sometimes I, you know, will be like, I really can't be bothered to cook. I'm going to have a takeaway. Sometimes I will um, sleep a bit longer. Sometimes I'll, you know, do these things that are comforting. Um, but on times I do make good conscious choices. I, I do journaling. Journaling really helps me. Yoga really helps me. Um But again, I struggle more doing that from home than I do when I go to classes. Um, Taking walks in nature really helped me, although I don't do it as much as I would like to. Um, And finally, which I'm doing next week, taking proper breaks. Um, Next week, it was the first time I've ever done this, going on a a solo retreat. And I mean, as in, it's not like an organised thing, it's just me booking somewhere and I'll do artistic things I will rest I will sleep I will um but just be on my own so that it's just me um and I will feel I hope uh I will do some healing and some chilling and some resting and um, I'll feel better for the second half of the year because of it so yeah so I've got to ask how do you give yourself permission to do that to take the time out and just experiment have time like where you're just by yourself and having a like I love the way you use that word retreat because when you say the word retreat it's natural to conjure up an image of lots of people getting together on this planned retreat somewhere out in the countryside but actually 
I, I really love how you've said I've identified a space a spot for me I've booked it and it's actually something I'm doing for myself I can just think of so many professionals who would really struggle to not only give themselves time off and just take breaks in general but to actually give themselves the time and headspace for themselves so how do you do that yeah um and it comes with practice I think well I've been self-employed now for 10 years and I think the challenge of that is that I think to kind of frame this from working with a lot of entrepreneurial freelance people, I think people either do things out of the joy for it or the necessity or desperation. So joy, necessity or desperation. And I think for a lot of the time I've taken breaks because I'm like, I need this now rather than like, oh, I'm desperate for it. It's better if we can do it when we like recognize the need. Um, but because I've done it once a year, I think on average I've taken a break, a proper break once a year, and that might be to go on a, a conference or a retreat or something. I've just benefited so much from it that I know the benefit far outweighs the lost earnings, the time I could be building the business or whatever else I could be doing. I just know that over the long term, the benefit to my mental health, but also the benefit to my growth far outweighs it. So I know that even if next week I go away for three days and I don't even read a book and I just rest and I, you know, I'll do some meditation and some yoga and some walks, but even if I don't do any of that, like, proper well-being stuff, if I just rest, I know I'll feel better for it and therefore I'll perform better professionally, but I'll also um, be better in my relationship. I'll be better in myself. And, um, yeah, and I think in the past I would have found it hard to say I'm going to just go away for three days on my own um I'd have probably felt guilty for it I'd have probably felt yeah like it's quite an indulgent thing to do or I don't know but now I'm thinking wow maybe I should take longer than three days you know <laughs> I'm going to quite enjoy this three days and be like I, I read that um was it, it was somebody like Bill Gates takes a, a reading week once a year and just takes loads of time to Sorry, loads of writing, reading materials, um, articles, and whether he still does this or not doesn't really matter. And whether we like Bill Gates or not doesn't matter. Um, it's <laughs> more the fact that, like, <laughs> yeah, um, it's very interesting that uh, the idea of like just consolidated things. I think so often we're like, or oh, I speak to myself and clients that we're trying to do a lot of things at the same time, like. Um, whether it's running a business and juggling emails and client things or we are doing a little bit of health stuff, seeing a bit of family stuff, a bit of relationship stuff, a bit of resting here and there. It's like take like a lot of things at the same time. So to just just rest for a few days and then just spend quality time with your partner for a few days and then just work on your business for a few days. I think there's something really valuable about consolidated time so that we're not flitting in and out of things and... As I'm saying this, I know that the first day I will probably feel like oh, I should be doing loads of stuff and it might take my brain time to realise that a Tuesday is totally a good day to be resting and I shouldn't be somewhere else. So, um, yeah, can enjoy it. Oh, amazing. I'm quite a fan of shifting the shoulds to coulds. Like anytime I catch myself saying a should, I just replace it with a could and say, I could do this, but I also deserve to take a bit of time off because I've worked really hard today or I could do that but I'm going to choose to do this instead. And what I find from that is it's a lot more empowering 
self-talk because you show that mm. you're making a choice and you're reminding yourself that you're making a choice. And uh, I, I really love how you talk about quality rest. And sometimes with so much awareness around wellness nowadays, you know, in a way you can end up putting pressure on yourself to do lots of wellness things and activities, but actually just quality rest and sleep never underestimate the value of that my colleague Valerie um often says rest is best that's like mm -hmm. her go-to phrase and she's done a blog actually for us on the value and power of conscious rest and there's just, I think there's just so much value to be had in that and to switch our mindset around what does rest mean for me like you said it could mean lots of different things yeah and and even you know my partner Katie she's so pro this as well that especially you know we've been like living and working in the same space for the last year like energetically we're not always like fully aligned as in one person might want to get up earlier or sleep later or you know one person's got a very difficult week and there's a lot going on other person's got a lighter week and I think we even without knowing it we affect other people's energy all the time and therefore someone's ability to rest um so that's part of the other reason why you know and she's like i mean a few years ago she went off to nepal for three months so wow I'm like three days i'm like three <laughs> days i can totally uh but honestly it was, so, it was it was also when you hear someone else doing something way more you're like oh well i can do three days she can go to nepal for three months <laughs> <laughs> reason myself about it <laughs> i can go an hour outside where i live for three days um <laughs> if we need justification for it but it was yeah so it sounds like you both support each other a lot which is great yeah and very mindful of what each other need as well and so yeah it's good wonderful let's talk about your business Andy so your company creators club you founded this in 2017 again congratulations very brave move to set up your own business um so this is a vibrant community of creatives freelancers small business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs and you offer them support and collaborative opportunities to connect and i say vibrant with confidence as well because i've witnessed a number of andy's events and they are just so special so so special you really bring something um so unique to the atmosphere um in all your you know activities etc so this has impressively expanded over the years where you've launched clubs in different cities as well as creating offshoots like creators festival and creator schools so what is your vision for this enterprise that you've grown lovely big question so me being somebody who graduated from a creative education and didn't have the entrepreneurial commercial skills um like so many other people one of the visions is the creators club is a place where people who are more creatively minded can come to get coaching get mentoring and get the support they need so they can wherever they are and one of the wonderful things that COVID has done is it's made us build the digital online side of the business much faster than we would have or we were doing so it means that you know we've got members that we coach and support from all across the UK and even wider and that part of that vision is that people have a place to come to get the support they need on the other side the impact side of education is that we can use what we learn as a community to impact the future of schools and education so that we we enable teachers and leaders in education um, or homeschooling parents, whoever it is, to ensure we are preparing young people for the future that is 
real and we can influence policy, we can influence how lessons are delivered, we can give people practical opportunities so that education as much as possible is grounded in skills that the world needs and you know there's a lot of shifts of getting things back to more apprenticeships and practical learning um but for us and creators club it's the um helping people have the confidence in their creativity and that is a really valuable um valuable what's the word um valuable thing for the world my words are not with me this evening um but as well as the sort of commercial skills around that so people don't distinguish between um, art and business being like opposite ends of a spectrum that they can be that people can both be a great artist and a great business person or not but um yes yeah, so that creators club continues to be able to be a voice for hope and change and innovation in education that's what we're continuing to build towards and with our education partners now and our school programs now it's wonderful that we are doing that and relatively on a small scale now but we'd love to well we will keep going with it and keep having a bigger impact so yeah that's what we're doing amazing anyone listening to this working in the education space please do reach out to Andy because it's really important work that you're developing especially impacting policy change and I, I love how you honed in on the point about you know helping people access the skills that that we need to see in the world and to ensure that they aren't being you know uh, diluted in any way and that the expression is valued um, in schools and that we can work with other people and be collaborative rather than be tested and assessed only for our individual contribution which is like one of the biggest things that we need to be a professional in any industry that we need to be able to work well with others so we have a a collective effort that's assessed or a collective effort that impacts the world rather than a solely an individual one so yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there's so many ways that people retain information as well and so many ways that they hone in on their skills. Like the number of times I've spoken to people that say, you know, I'm really good at a subject, but I can't stand exams or I get really anxious mm. with tests and they just see it as like this memory test and it's not, they feel it's not really reflecting their true skill, which is a shame. Definitely. And on that point as well, I've been doing a bit more, well, a lot more learning about dyslexia in the last few months and then um and being tested myself to it's partly to boost my confidence around it but also then when I talk about it I can be clear with other people about how dyslexia can help people and be an advantage and there's a great book called the dyslexic advantage which everybody should read um whether you're dyslexic or not to be able to work with other people that are better and to realize this superpower people have um <laughs> and if anyone's in education as well because you know we have these young people that have got these magical ways of thinking and seeing the world and if they're not understood then they can leave education feeling like i'm not great i'm not good enough i'm not this and you know people can stress themselves so hard to pass an exam and then get into like anxiety and pressure and burnout and yeah I also think young people there I don't know I think it's worse somehow than it was when I was at school as in the pressure seems worse or people's drive to work hard I don't know I don't know if I'm true on that from all the schools I work in but I do think maybe it's just there's more awareness around anxiety and pressure and stress which is great we have more awareness but um, yeah, for people to feel 
that that is an accurate measure of someone's ability is um isn't holistically helpful and we do need ways of assessing people and guiding people so that we can uh, help people choose a career path and we can help employers know who is a sufficient candidate that can be great at articulating or great with commercial things we need to have some sort of benchmark to present people but um there's much more innovative better ways to do that and that's the quest i am on with a lot of other people so um yeah if anyone's listening and is in that world always love to chat and collaborate on that kind of work absolutely i think you hit the nail on the head that there is a lot more awareness nowadays in many ways and we're in an age of you know research and information being available at our fingertips so we actually have a lot more to refer to and to link to and to understand nowadays whereas you know even if you a couple of decades ago even you know there just wasn't as much understanding and awareness about the varied you know complexities of the human brain and how we engage in learning and development and that kind of thing so actually it's it's in a way it's good that we have more terminologies um, different diagnoses and things like that but we also need to um, educate people on embracing like you mm. say those gifts you know and yeah. superpowers <laughs> yeah um and I know, you know, appreciate that's another thing that you're um, you're championing and that you share about your own experience with mm. dyslexia. And, and that was something that I really appreciated learning about from you when we started working together as well, mm. so I could better understand it. So Yeah. And, you know, the way that you engage with people, you're wonderful at this. And for asking people, what do you need or what would help you? You know, for like everybody, every human being wants to feel good and thrive and we need different things in order to do that as well and it's important that we're sensitive to that and then but we ask in a constructive helpful way and a curious way so that we're not um like you know i've got a, a dear friend um who's like, struggled like many people with disabilities in the pandemic and feels that quite often they've been a group of people that have been overlooked and things are opening back up but you know they've got much greater risk of um being uh being affected by covid so it's just for me it's like it's all about sensitivity and about whoever people are um and whatever the situation to ask how can we help you what would help you succeed what would help you thrive what would help you turn up and feel comfortable mm. um and if we can ask with um compassion and curiosity and openness then we can help people hopefully express what they need and work with people better to allow them to flourish because that's what we really all want even if we don't always know the right question to ask we can have a go asking and apologize if we don't quite get it right and it's all good yeah absolutely the power of questions just asking finding out being curious like you said wonderful takeaway thank you andy so speaking of takeaways uh if you were to give three key takeaways to our listeners given the varied content that we've covered today uh what would those takeaways be so on my on my message about self-acceptance and mental health and well-being the core of that is us connecting to who we are and being around people who allow us and love us and encourage us to be who we are so connection is so important on my love for creativity, uh, just keep exploring different ways to create and be creative in the world, both to make an impact in the world and to express yourself. And 
on my note of taking breaks, hence the this podcast, I would say my word at the minute is cocooning. I love the idea of cocooning and I'm going into a three-day cocoon next week and it'll be beautiful and lovely and hopefully I shall emerge like a butterfly afterwards. <laughs> um, and if I don't, I will also try not to judge myself that I still feel like a messy caterpillar in that in-between stage. Or, I don't know what that in-between stage is like, but I'm sure it's a bit messy. Um, but yeah, to like allow ourselves that rest time and whatever that means, that's okay. Um, so yeah, connect, create and cocoon when you need to. Amazing. The three C's as well. Easy to remember. Thank you, Andy. So uh, before we wrap up, I could speak to you for ages, Andy, but um, before we wrap up, this is the Take Regular Breaks podcast, as you mentioned and referred to as well. And I'd love to know, what is your ideal way to take a break? What is my ideal way to take a break? It depends what I'm breaking from. If I'm if I'm breaking from the busyness of running workshops and events, it's something that will have very little stimulus, like hence sitting in a very quiet space or something, because it's for me breaking away from the the noise. So that's what I'm doing next week. So I think um, whereas if it's a break from monotonous email admin stuff. I want to do something fun and creative and stimulating, whether that's having a game of squash or it's um, painting something or um, going to a cool art gallery. So I think if we're doing something boring and monotonous, we should have a break from it and do something fun. And if we're, if we're doing something super stimulating, we should um, allow ourselves a break from all that stimulation, whether it's digital or people or sensory. Um, so, yeah, I've given you two answers. It's very unique. I haven't had an answer like that so far. <laughs> well, mind you, everyone's answers are different, obviously, but I do like that dual approach of, well, it depends what I've been doing because it's so true. It, it then depends on kind of what mood you want to put yourself into yeah. uh, that will help you break away from things. Because so. if you're, like, doing something rubbish and boring, like people have many you know aspects of jobs that are the dull bit that we don't like but sometimes we're like oh I'm tired but we're not necessarily tired of life we're just tired of that boring aspect of this little bit and then we do something that will refuel us and help us tap into our energy and spark for what we love whether it's horse riding or cake making or dancing or um whatever it is so yeah definitely love it so how can people follow your work Andy and connect with you and all the great work that you're developing so all the regular social media stuff from Andy at Andy Dunn UK on most of them or LinkedIn or my website at andydunn.co or creatorsclub.co.uk. So you'll find me. Great. And you're also on Instagram um, on Creators Club at Creators Club UK. Is that right? Correct. Perfect. Oh, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you, Andy, and I've really enjoyed our conversation today. As always, thank you so much for spending the time with me today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Tanya. Take Regular Breaks is hosted by me, Tanya Diggory, and has been produced by our team here at Karma. Our show is mixed and edited by Amari Carter. Our original theme music is by Oliver Sudden, and our design is by Longevity. You can listen to our show on Spotify and other popular streaming platforms. For more information on Karma and our mental health and wellbeing services, visit www.thisiskarma.com.
Thank you for listening and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.